Here we are with another recording from the Oxford International Centre for Publishing. The talk by Mark Aylin, CEO of Wiley from 2015 to 2017, is introduced by Angus Phillips. We kick the afternoon off, we've got a wonderful speaker with us, Mark Allen. So thank you very much for Mark for You're coming welcome. along. Uh, Mark was CEO of the until May last year, and before that he worked at Wiley for around 16 years. And when his company that he started, Capstone Publishing, was take over, taken over, he started working with Wiley. He went on to serve as Managing Director of Wiley Asia and Senior Vice President of Asia Pacific. And uh, he was named Chief Operating Officer in 2015, and following that, President and CEO. So um, we were very fortunate to have Mark with us today, and thank you so much for sparing the time. So Not over at all. to you. Thank you, Angus. Afternoon. Afternoon. You okay? <laughs> Good. Good. So be very gentle with the publishers this afternoon, by the way. We're very fragile people. Um, so thank you to Angus and to Nick and to Jane for the invitation. I have to say with the greatest respect that I absolutely hate you all um, because you're at the beginning of your career and you've chosen publishing uh, and I hope that's where you stay. It's a fabulous industry. Um, it's the, the people, the contribution that you make. I don't regret it at all having spent my entire, almost my entire career in publishing. Um, so I hope you use this opportunity today to learn as much as you can about the industry. Uh, there are some experts here who will be able to help you think about uh, getting that first job, CVs, interview techniques, and so on. Uh, I'm not that person. Uh, I've forgotten all of that. Um, but I think I can talk a little bit about just my own thoughts on publishing, uh, my own thoughts on sort of career development, on the role that publishing plays in the world and why you've made such a great decision, even though I hate you, to, uh, to spend your career in publishing. This is quite an uncertain time. I recognise that. I think when, when I was starting my career, as a couple of other people in my peripheral vision who started their career in publishing about the same time, we didn't really worry about job security. I don't remember worrying about that. Um, we didn't really worry about uh, what industry should we pick. We kind of assumed that we, would, uh, that we would always have Jane bring some gin. <laughs> That's what we assume. No, there we, is a gin brewery right around I'm the sure there is. <laughs> um, and we always assumed that, that you know, we would get a job as a matter of, of choosing our industry. And so lots of people, especially old people like, like me, will say, oh, I just fell into publishing by chance. And you think, well, great. Thanks a lot. You know, because I've made a conscious decision to get into the industry. So I recognise... It's a more uncertain time, um, but one of the things I do want to stress, and we'll talk about, is that the publishing industry is vibrant, it's relevant, it's alive, and you are making a great decision. So thank you again to Angus, primarily for the opportunity to talk about myself um, for a while. Uh, I think only to sort of prompt some thoughts about careers and the way and the way that they unfold, and some of my own experiences and, uh, and stories. So I've been in publishing for over 30 years, which is a terrible, excuse me, I'll have some gin. Terrible thing to think about, but also a wonderful thing. Um, I actually started as a teacher. Um, I was a volunteer teacher in Zimbabwe immediately after 
independence. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, travel and the world and publishing as a global enterprise. Uh, but I did that for a few years and came back to the UK. And I identified publishing as the, as the place I wanted to work for reasons that will be familiar to you. It felt like an industry that I thought I could contribute to. Uh, I love reading, and I'm not ashamed to say it, and you shouldn't be in an interview either. And you have to kind of love the stuff that we're doing. And I wanted to find a way in. So somebody, first piece of advice that I got was pick a way in that isn't as obvious or fashionable. So at that time, the not obvious or fashionable part of publishing, one of them, was production, manufacturing, making books. Um, and I thought, A, that I had a design bent, which turned out not to be true, um, and that that would be a way in. And actually, it was. I applied, when I came back from Africa, I applied for two or three jobs. I eventually ended up here, not here in Brooks, here in Oxford, working for what was then Blackwell Publishers, which was the humanities piece of Blackwell, long before merge, 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 merge. And actually, Blackwell ended up back at, at Wiley. Um, but I ended up there, and I got a job in, in production. Uh, I was production assistant trainee which I thought was a lot of things to really make me feel bad about myself all at once. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I learned a lot about the industry. You learn a lot. You learn a lot if you're the person who has to print 2,000 books only to find that 1,500 of them are still in the warehouse five years later. Tells you something about what sells and what doesn't. But I did that for about a year, um, and I started to sort of drift towards sales and editorial. I really wanted to get out. Uh, I wanted to meet authors, I wanted to get out and meet customers and do other stuff. So I found my way um, into editorial, actually via a mutual friend of Simon Winder, who's here, um, and mine, who got me working on economics as a commissioning editor and a field editor, which meant that I had to sign books, find authors, but also sell them when I was on campus. There's nothing, the best job in the world, I think, is being a campus rep. Is out selling books to faculty uh, that get used on courses, it, you travel, it's very, very rewarding. And the academics all really despise you. So it really builds character. <laughs> I remember going to the University of uh, Chicago, which has one of the great rationalist right-wing economics department, and everybody there is mean-spirited. <clears throat> I think it's, it's part of their upbringing. And they all have the door shut, which I don't think faculty are supposed to do anymore. And they all have the door shut, and so he bang on the door, and this his voice on the other side would say, you're buying or selling? <laughs> so you think, okay, I'll try uh, buying. Go away! Okay. So I, the same guy, I came back like five minutes later, I thought, I'll just put on a different voice. So I knocked on the door, and he said, buying or selling? I said, I'm selling. He said, no, go away! <laughs> But I became an economics editor, and I certainly, academic publishing is a wonderful place. The people are incredible. You do become exposed to, I mean, I commissioned 15 Nobel laureates, I think. And you just get to meet the most amazing people. I will talk about mentors. Um, I had a mentor at Blackwell. He was actually the managing director at the time, still a very close friend of mine. And he was the economics editor before me actually before our mutual friend, and then me. And I said, they offered me the job, and I said, but I don't know anything about economics, so how can I commission Nobel laureates if I don't know the subject? 
And he said lots of good things like it's not really about that, it's about the relationship and understanding what sells and all that is true. And I said, but I am going to have to talk about economics. So I did some courses and he said, eventually, he said, well, he was in his car. We were driving to Cambridge to see, I can't remember, a very learned professor. And he said, okay, here's the trick. He said, academics, with respect to the academics in the room, um, just want to be loved like everybody else. It's true, right? So, so here's what you do. Go into their office and you say, Professor Phillips, um, so tell me, what are you working on? And he says, well, I'm using hysteresis to, take, uh, to do an analysis, an autoregressive correlation, analysis of relative wages and exchange rates between June the 13th, 1945, and July the 12th, 1946. And you say, hmm. So you look at the period from June 1946 to July 1947. You look at relative wages and you apply hysteresis to an autoregressive correlation, and he says, you've read my work! <laughs> and then he stays with you forever. Um, so, I, so that's academic publishing, and I, I honestly, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, I did have a plan, and we can talk about do you have a plan or do you not have a plan? Um, and one of the things about academic publishing in Oxford in 1980-something, um, it was a very nice place to be. We had sherry during editorial meetings. Certainly if they were after lunch, if it was in the morning, then it was probably just white wine. Um, but it was a lovely, it was cosseting, and it was, it, was, uh, it was satisfying, I think is the word. But I, I really wanted to understand publishing on a bigger scale, and I really wanted to understand American publishing, which is the thing I decided that American pub, the big American, especially textbook publishers, take a very brutal, data-driven approach to what they do. And they're, they're big and they're successful, but they have real craft. But if, does anybody still use textbooks? No. Yay! So text, you remember, textbooks were huge. And they, for those of us who do remember, they cost like you know, 100 pounds and they were 1,000 pages long. But there was a real craft in developing a first-year economics textbook or an introductory sociology textbook. So I went to work for Pearson, actually various pieces of Pearson, over a four- or five-year period, um, firstly in business and economics. And I commissioned and ran a business publishing huge, huge textbooks. Um, and it was very data-driven, hugely analytical, the people I worked for were genuinely evil, some of them, uh, rapacious, but fascinating. And I learned a lot. One of the things I learned was about values, and we should come back to that too. Um, I learned how to conduct myself in a large organisation, which is important. I also learned what values did and didn't work for me. It wasn't an environment in which I felt, I felt totally comfortable. Uh, but I learned so much. I learned about finance, sales, marketing, editorial, rights, the whole lot, which I don't think I'd have got anywhere else. A spell in a really big publisher was worth it, absolutely worth it for me. I spent a lot of time on the road, a lot, a lot of time on the road, out seeing customers, which is a very American thing to do. They said, stop talking about authors, go and see people who actually pay us money and ask them what they think. And it is very important, and, and we'll come back to it. Now, I, was particularly, I covered Scandinavia for six months as a rep, 
a very, very famous bookseller at a bookseller called Akatimunen in Finland. And I was told half of the story, which is if you go and see Harrow, that was his name, then you have to take a bottle of whiskey. I said, okay, fine. So I took a bottle of whiskey. What I didn't know was that in order for him to give you an order, you had to finish it with him <laughs> on the spot, um, which I managed to get out of there um, alive. Uh, but I did, learn, I did learn a huge amount. So while I was at Pearson, I also drifted into professional and trade publishing. So business book publishing, the sorts of things you see at airports, you know, a hundred ways to find the job that you want, um, strategy, the easy way. And this was in the 90s when that whole um, business book market was just exploding. And so the next thing I did deliberately, I said, okay, I've been through the big company experience. I've gained a huge amount of knowledge. Um, but what if I did it for myself? How would that feel? So uh, myself and a, and a friend of mine actually from Blackwell started a company called Capstone, which was a business publisher from scratch. We had a lot of authors, we had a lot of contacts, we didn't have any money. Uh, we actually raised a little bit of money from the guy who owns Belgo's restaurants in London. Um, but that was it, but we, we, we started the company and it was just at the time when business was cool. You won't remember this, but there was Fast Company magazine and Wired and technology. It was the first internet boom. It was actually a cool place to be. So we were excited. We signed some great authors. We had our first list. Said, yes, we'll go. Only to find that basically getting into the, to the industry as a small publisher is incredibly difficult. Getting into customers, getting into Smiths, getting into Waterstone, incredibly difficult. And the lessons we learned about customers, about how to build relationships, about cash, the only thing that mattered was, are we going to run out of money? And if we do, what do we do? And uh, actually, our breakthrough was you have to, if you've got business books, even now, you have to get into airports and railway stations. 90% of them are sold at airports and railway stations. <clears throat> and every week, we went into the, uh, the bookshop at Pannington Station. Actually, not to the bookshop. It's, it's, it's a little office underneath it. And the guy in it is like the caretaker in Harry Potter. What's his name? Him. Filch. Just like him. We go every week and say, look at this list. And he's saying, well, I'm not interested. I've got books. I've got books. So what do I want any more? So we said, just off the top of our head, for no reason, okay, give us one shelf for a month. We'll give you 90% discount. I, we basically gave them to him. And if they don't sell, we'll never come and see you again. Right. Okay. So we did. And then we got all our friends to buy them. <laughs> Which is probably actually not entirely legal. Um, but he said, oh, your books do sell. Two years later, we were WH Smith's number one supplier of business books. It was just a matter of getting in. Right. But that was about understanding a customer. Um, so the business was always going to get sold at some point. I think, you know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was about experiencing entrepreneurship. It was about living on the edge. It was about a lifestyle, um, but it was time to move on. So we sold the company to Wiley, who was the only company we were ever going to sell it to. We had them in our sights, partly because we thought it was a great company, partly because the person I used to work with at Pearson was then there, talking of mentors, my second 
great mentor, Steve Smith, who was the CEO of Wiley, before me, sadly, died of cancer far too young. Um, but he was there, so he said, let's sell to Wiley. The other reason is they were rubbish at business books, absolutely hopeless. So they needed us. So we sold the business to Wiley. Um, and I stayed for a couple of years and I thought, I'll be an entrepreneur again. But actually going back to this, a big business and wanting to make a real impact. I mean, Wiley is an extraordinary company, one of the world's largest scientific publishers, making an impact in scientific research and discovery, one of the world's largest educational publishers, making a real difference to the lives of students, and one of the world's largest professional publishers, providing information and, and success for, for professionals. So it kind of felt like, actually, all the things I really do care about, the reason I joined this industry to have an impact uh, is here, and I'll stay. But to do what, I have no idea. And then said Steve Smith called me one day, um, I was in the car, and said, how would you like to go to Singapore and look after our businesses in Asia? And I thought, I probably would, but I'm not sure about my wife, who's working very successfully, uh, and I knew she wouldn't be able to work. So I called her and said, Steve has just offered me a job in Singapore. We'd all go, two little kids, go and live in Singapore. I said, but you can't work. So I have this horrible image of me away in China for three weeks and you stuck in some big house in the tropics on your own. And she said, and the problem with that is? <laughs> so, so we went. And actually, I was away nearly all the time. But this is the 2000s. So China, India exploding and an incredible time to be in Asia, an incredible time to understand the impact of publishing. When you have economies that are growing quickly, you have demographics that mean there are huge numbers of students, massive investment into science and technology and research. We were heroes. We were real heroes. We turned up, we helped people get published, we helped students learn, we helped universities do what they needed to do. And it, it was incredible. And what you learnt about cultures and working across, I'd worked in Africa, but never in Asia, including being in a customer meeting, feeling very good about myself because I've managed to beat him down to a good price for a whole bunch of books. And he stood up and he looked at me and said, I'm going to think about that. And he walked out of the room and he came back two and a half hours later, just left me sitting there in this kind of very, very hot, airless room and came back and said, and have you thought about it? And I had by then. Um, but you learn so much about, about negotiation and about, and about culture. So I stayed seven years in the end in Asia, and I can't speak highly enough about traveling. If you ever get the opportunity or seek it out to work in a culture other than your own, or a country or place other than your own, even if it's for a week, do it. Do it. You learn so much more about a place by working in it. You learn so much more about yourself by exposing yourself to different cultures and different experiences. And it's an extraordinary way to learn about people, which in the end is what publishing is about. So I stayed, or I said there's seven years, and actually the last bit quite quickly, because um, we were thinking about career entry and all the things that I'd done. I did decide then to stay with Wiley, back to having a plan. I had not expected to go to Asia. That was never in the plan. So that was me taking an opportunity. But I'll come back 
To the West, I ran Wiley's professional business, one of their three global businesses for four or five years. Those were the strategy years. That was when publishing really started to face a big issue with declining book sales, with rises in alternative kinds of digital media, all sorts of things. So we went through a whole process of buying and selling businesses that was really hard. Well, I bought businesses that probably brought a thousand people into Wiley. I laid a thousand people off as you got out of businesses. It wasn't that much fun, but it was thinking really hard about the long term. How can this company be successful? And because of that, I then went on to become COO and, and CEO. And I won't actually spend time on the CEO piece other than it was an extraordinary experience. Wiley is over 210 years old. It's older than most countries. It has an extraordinary history. It has a family of unbroken seven generations of chairmen, and they are all men, um, who've, uh, who've been at the head of the family business and therefore, in many ways, at the head of the company. It was an incredible experience. It brought together everything that I cared about in publishing, having an impact, um, making a difference, but most of all, people. 5,000 extraordinary people. So, so that's what I've done. There's all sorts of things in there. So, so let's very quickly talk about some of those a bit more. So one, if someone says to you publishing is dead, they're wrong. Right? Publishing is so alive. There is more reading going on now than I think there can ever have been. Yes, you can talk about people are staring up to their phones, they're looking at devices, they're consuming all sorts of information. Most of that is reading, it's consuming content. I think my daughters are 18 and 20. Um, they read much, much, much more, I think, than I did. And partly it's because they're always reading. Um, some of the most inspirational things they read, I was talking to my daughter earlier today, uh, are tweets, but those tweets will always take her somebody else, so, so somewhere else uh, as well. So don't, don't think about publishing, and I'm sure you don't, as a dead industry. Um, there are huge changes. The industry has big challenges. Innovation. Right, so as you think about sort of going out and talking to publishers, how are they thinking about the new stuff? Are they innovating? How much of what they do was invented in the last five years? Is publishing innovating quickly? Is all the innovation happening somewhere else? It's happening in Amazon or Google or startups. It's happening in China. Where is publishing going to innovate from? Publishing is not diverse enough. Uh, in this country, there's a big issue, I think, with the shape of the workforce um, and the way that publishing is reflecting the audiences that it's serving. I have no idea what the answer to that is, um, other than consciously recognising it's the case. Uh, and publishing in the UK, I think, can take an even more global view than it does. So, but at its heart, with all that publishing going on, there's more publishing than ever. LinkedIn says, oh, we're a publisher. Facebook is a publisher. Every blog is a publisher. Every app is a publisher. So what is it that we do uniquely? And of course, some of that is about curation. It's about the integrity of content. It's about putting a stamp of approval. But at the heart of that, and I can't say this enough, is understanding the audience. So I think if there's one thing that publishers do when they're successful uniquely well is understand an audience and what they want and deliver. A lot of, what we, a lot of what's being published is howling into the wilderness. 
And we have a real opportunity to continue to add value by curating that. What else are publishers good at, by the way? I think it's three things. I think one is curation. I think one is we're good bankers. We're actually the ones who make the investment. Everybody else gets paid by us. And then eventually we get paid. So we're good bankers and we're good at selling. When publishers are successful, they curate, they invest, and then they sell. So how should you and how do we think about this? Ah, quickly. So the other great thing about publishing is the people in it and the networks that you build. So over 30 years, you do get to know quite a lot of people. Um, so I reached out to them on various social channels. I asked people, what one piece of advice would you give people who are thinking about entering the publishing industry? So I have quite a few of the things that they've said. But here, this is an interesting guy uh, who says an age when can distribute. Um, a publishing company is to certify to say it's been met, as, as I was saying, to kind of validate it. He's a real chameleon, this guy. He's probably 60. He's probably worked in every single department of just about every single publisher in the world. Uh, and he's never wanted to rise to any great level. He is just a brilliant, brilliant publisher. And this is important as we go on to think about, I was talking about do you make a plan? I would say do, do make a plan. Think about what part of the industry interests you. Is it academic, is it educational, is it trade, is it children's, is it online? What is it? Is there any particular role that really interests you? Any particular function? Is it editorial, is it sales, is it marketing? Begin to formulate, you might be wrong, but formulate in your mind, I did anyway, Here's a way that I might get into the industry. Here's something that really interests me. And research it to death. I can't say enough. Research, research, research. Go and talk to people. Write to them. Read about them. Read about every publisher. Just do research into what it's like working that job. Ask people. Network like crazy. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. Have a plan and then be prepared to tear it up. Because something will come along for me, it was going to Asia. For you, it will be something different. There isn't that plan. That's something else. And it still feels right. Maybe it's a bit risky. Take it. Take it. Think about where you want to get to. But like flying to the moon, right? A rocket doesn't go like this. It goes like this. That's the way you get to where you want to get to. So what do they say? What do my friends say? They say that, value flexibility, there are so many paths to explore. She's amazing, this woman up here. She must have come into my office once a week asking for a different job in the company. It drove me nuts. It's like, oh, can I be in HR? It's like, well, no, you're not. You only just started in marketing. <laughs> 20 years later, she is one of the most senior people in Wiley. Actually, she came back to Wiley, and she's worked in every single part of the company. She has incredible knowledge. She's an extraordinary person. Don't plan your career, do your job. He wasn't the most inspirational person I ever worked with. <laughs> Volunteer for projects comes back to the flexibility. Uh, only intern if you have to. Controvert, we can talk about that later. Uh, and start small, um, and kind of learn everything you can. It's important. Right, who doesn't need a picture of ABBA? Um, money, money, money. Oh, as my wife pointed out, this is actually a picture of waxwork museum of, of ABBA. So it makes them look a bit like publishing senior management. Um, but publishing is an industry. Uh, publishing is a business. Um, and I know you all know that. Um, but really throwing yourself into understanding it 
So when you're researching, thinking about where do I want to be in the industry, understand what makes that part of the industry tick. What makes it successful? Why is this company doing well and that company not doing well? What does it mean to invest? What does it mean to make profit? How do we get there? How are they getting there? Have those thoughts, you know, try and ask questions about that. Think about it. Take those sorts of things to interview. I think it, it, it actually matters a lot. People ask me about, um, I was thinking about this, what kind of people did you hire? And actually, in the end, came down to three things, particularly entry-level jobs that were highest for me. One was communication, clearly being able to articulate what you think and get your point across. Second was commercial acumen. And I don't mean, you know, being a rapacious uh, business overlord. I mean understanding the way that the business worked. And the third was organisation, being able to demonstrate you can finish something that you've started, that you know how to structure your time. All the skills can be learnt, but those things, you can communicate well, you understand the business that you're in, and you're well organised, goes a very long way. So think about money, think about the industry, think about publisher performance. Number one in this as well, think about technology. So some of the things I've talked about, integrity, curation, traditional publishing skills that are still applicable, all true, but technology changes absolutely everything. Everything. And it will continue to do so. The way people read, the way they write, the way content is distributed. It means suddenly that the biggest players in our industry weren't, didn't exist 15 years ago. Amazon, Google, Facebook. In our industry, I mean the, the broad industry of information and media. Soak yourself in technology. What are people using? What are the apps? Where are people going to get information? How are they reading? How are they, how are they learning? So what did my friend say? If in doubt, start in sales. He's a sales director, by the way. You can go anywhere from sales. Uh, he didn't. Um, but there is talking about entry points. Sales is a really good entry point. You want to get out into the world? Uh, go traveling. It's all about the path to market and think deeply about what consumers need. Right, going back to that point, in the end, publishers, are when they're successful, are really good at identifying what people want. Um, so I'll just gloss over this. I talked about seeing the world. If you can find a way to travel, take it. I've had the most extraordinary experiences traveling in publishing. I've made lifelong friends. I've been to Indian weddings. I've been down the Nile, from the poorest parts of Manila to the rich new palaces of China. It's extraordinary. You get the opportunity Take it, and it's a global industry. And some of the big issues out there in the world, publishing is at the heart of. Um, fake news, what do you think about that? Uh, no, no platform versus free speech. The role of big tech. Publishing is at the heart of all of those things around the world. This person is my current mentor. She's actually a scientist in, uh, in Georgetown University. Uh, and what she says, publishing has always been global. By staying better informed, by cultures meeting each other, we actually do move world peace that little bit closer. And she wasn't being facetious, um, and she's right. So finally, brand, you know, you're, you're in publishing, you're going to be in publishing. Think about publishing, uh, branding, marketing. What about your brand? What are you doing about your brand? How do you project yourself? What do you believe in? What are your values? What do you find acceptable and unacceptable? about the way you want to work and, and, and who you want to be. And how are you going to project that? What's your presence? Do you have a social media presence? How do you use it? 
You have other ways of building a profile. This guy, at Wiley, very young, Peter Knox, um, been at Wiley for five years. Uh, he blogs constantly about reading and the books that he's reading. He's written articles for The Guardian. He has a fantastic website. And he continually is out there talking, 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 talking about books and reading and education. He's on Twitter. He's, he's stunning. I, if any of you want to talk to him about how he did it, um, then I'll happily put you in touch with him. But Pete is a great example of someone who's built an extraordinary brand for himself while being the humblest, nicest person on earth. It's worth following in Facebook just to see pictures of him and his young daughter. He's by far the sweetest person I know. So what is publishing? And I genuinely, genuinely believe that. Um, the impact that you can have, the people that you'll meet, you'll find a way in if you want to. You will find a way in publishing needs smart people. Nothing's going to change. But think about you know, some of these ideas, many better ones that you'll get about, about how to do that. But never lose sight, if you can avoid it, of what an extraordinary impact publishing makes on the world. And just a few more of my friends. Don't believe the hype about books going away. Fake news, we need more and better books. Be ready to embrace change. Have a presence. Research the culture of the publishing industry. Cultural fit is important. Finding somewhere you really want to work. Um, somewhere where you think you can, you can make a difference. And two very good ones. Curation is king, of course. We talked about that. Think about all genres of publishing. We talked about that. Here's a good one. Don't take unpaid internships. That's just somebody's view. Um, I think many internships are very badly run and they are exploitative. I think if you, you know, researching the good ones is important. In interviews, make sure you're fully prepared. She's recruited like lots and lots of people. In the end, in the second one, publishing is about people and ideas and what's not to like about this. And finally, you, know, you might have, you might have published a textbook that encouraged a girl to become an engineer. You might have published a research article that helped provide clean water to people who don't have it. You might have published a novel that helps a 14-year-old to understand that what he's going through is not unusual. You might publish a blog that moves the argument about assault weapons forward. So go out there, be fearless, be yourselves, and please look after publishing for me. Thank you.